The following is a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of 900 CHML. We are planning your financial future. I'm Scott Thompson. Andy Lister and Don Fox are here from IG Private Wealth Management. You can call them now, leave a message. They will return your call at 905-529-7165 and check out the website at andyanddon.com. That's andyanddon, all one word, dot com. And there you can ask a question via the listener inquiry button or listen to old archive shows. Good morning, gentlemen. Good to see you all in your square. Good morning, Scott. Morning, Good Andy. Good morning. You know, I noticed there, there seemed to be a, a bit of uh, a bit more jump in people's, uh, I want to say step, but I'm not around anybody, in their voice on the Zoom <laughs> call because things are starting uh, to open up and more and more being vaccinated. So you certainly can feel that positive vibe. And patios open this weekend too, which will be good. Hey, yeah, I, I was trying to go on. I think that they were sort of caught off guard. I was trying to go online to see if I could book the patio at a, at a favorite place we like to go to. And uh, their systems weren't up and running. Wow. And then by the time I actually called them and got through, uh, no luck yesterday. So no patio for me. <laughs> I, I would I would actually uh, think there might be some people listening right now at 8 o'clock in the morning on a Saturday yeah. sitting on a patio. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Maybe, um, you know, I don't know. I, I, I think drinks, drinks are start at 9 a.m., so you do have to wait till after the show. And wouldn't a Caesar be great just about now? <laughs> wouldn't it be? Yeah. <laughs> or Bailey's and coffee, but, you pick. There you go. Instead of that, though, we get to listen to, is it better to split income between spouses? And uh, maybe not quite as exciting as the vibe of uh, how, staying, hanging around your uh, a part, uh, patio or a restaurant or that, but uh, this will kind of get the vibe going anyway. And yes, saving income tax does it for us. I love, I love being able to save income tax for clients. This is amazing. And it's, it's an annual gift if you do this properly. So really, first of all, what is income splitting? We hear about it all the time. And it's really moving money from a higher income to a lower income. And it's using the tax brackets to your advantage. And we, we certainly have heard of the highest tax bracket. And, and that, that happens to be if you make over $220,000, you are in a 53.53% tax bracket. And if you earn between, say, $20,000 to $45,000, you're actually in the lowest tax bracket, or certainly one of the lowest, at 20%. So if you can take money from one tax bracket, a higher one, and move it to a lower one, absolutely it works out. And you can see this, like, and here's an example. Let's say Mrs. Smith earns 118000 Well, anything between 98000 to 150000 puts you in a 43.5% tax bracket. So, but Mr. Smith is making 21000 So he is in that 20% bracket. So if we were to move 20000 from Mrs. Smith's income to Mr. Smith's income, you're basically taking 20000 out of the 43.5% bracket and moving it to the 20% bracket, saving you 23.5% on that, on that amount of money. And you know what? I don't know about you guys, but if I, if I could save 23.5%, that's $4,700 simply by moving the money. And this is a, it's not a, an absolute, you're not doing this, real it's a simply a tax return move you're moving on the you, tax know what, you, you, you know what mr smith's gonna say 
why do I have to pay so much tax? I've been earning 21000 and I've never had to pay tax, and now I'm paying tax. And you're absolutely right. And this is why, if you're going to do this, particularly for common law, because I do find this is a, an issue for common law, or some people like to keep their banking and tax returns separate, um, less often with long-term married couples, but certainly common law, I see this frequently, is do two tax returns, one without splitting and one without, and one with. And by doing that, you'll say, okay, yes, overall, we saved, in this example, $4,700 as a family, but hey, Mr. Smith says, I normally get a tax refund, and I would have got a, a refund, now I, got a, I owe tax, and so you have to make that adjustment between you two, keep peace in the family, and trust me, that $4,700 goes a long way. And I would rather any day of the week see that $4,700 be saved. And that's annually. This is every year. So you can imagine if this went on for 10 years, you'd end up $47,000 after tax in your pocket. Can you, So what you're recommending here, Don and Andy, is once you income split, you have some sort of note to say that when that spouse gets that tax return, they sign it over to you or buy you a gift of some sort of equal value. Is that what you're saying? Pretty much, pretty much what we're saying here, and it's kind of funny because I did have a, a second marriage here, and and the you know in this case the, the higher income earner was the the male and the female earner lower one, so she ended up paying tax every year. She never used to pay tax, and they never reconciled this difference. <laughs> so it was over a thousand dollars a year, and she hated this income splitting. And I said, listen, it's still better off. You guys have to do this afterwards, and here's how much I worked it out that you have to get back to Mrs. in this case. But yes, it, it's, a, it's a massive tax savings. And, you know, I'm, it started back in 2007. So here we are 14 years later. I was surprised it happened back in 2007. I don't know about you, Andy. This was a huge announcement back then. Exactly. Yeah, for sure. It's a, and it's, it's amazing how long ago that was. I know. 14 years has gone by like this. Now it's, it's kind of right in our, our wheelhouse. We don't even think much about it. And... So that's just part of the income splitting, so that's a good deal. But what if you're both over 65? Well, in this case, Mrs. Smith was making $118,000. Once you make over $79,054, you start to get old-age security clawback. And so she was, in my example, having to pay back an immense amount of her old-age security, almost all of it, back to the government because she was making this much. Well, by moving that money, the 20000 from Mrs. to Mr., she, it ends up saving 15 cents on the dollar, and she would end up getting back an additional $3,000 in old age security. That's on top of the tax savings, okay? And one last thing, if this was from a, a RIF or a pension fund, which always has to be, has to be from a pension, and if both spouses were not getting the pension credit, and by moving money from Miss, Mrs. in this case to Mr., let's say Mr. wasn't getting, Mr. Smith wasn't getting the pension credit, well, that's an additional $418 each they get in pension credits. So it ends up really adding up. And it is. To me, it's a, it's a huge deal, and it makes a, a big difference. So who gets this? Well, it's kind of interesting. Anybody who has a defined benefit plan, so those, those ones that have government pensions generally, they're, they're the most known. But, again, there's still some uh, private pensions out there. Any of those qualify for splitting up to 50%. If you're under 65, so you, even if you retire at 55, as we, we often see with some teachers, they may retire earlier. Well, they would end up being able to income split, even though they're 
10 years before, if they're 55 years old, 10 years before they hit 65, they still can split half that pension, now up to 50%. So why I say that's important, you can use the pension optimization button in your tax preparation um, software, or your accountant or your tax preparer will do this for you, and they'll figure out the exact percentage that gets to be moved from one spouse to the other. And so I know I've, I've, I do about eight tax returns a year, and my in-laws are one of them, and it's, it's, it's weird. Some years it's 8%. One, uh, another year it was 50%. It all depends on medical coverage, medical receipts, um, taxes. It works everything into the situation to figure out what's the exact percentage you should be moving over. Now, if you're under 65 and you do not have a defined benefit plan, say a government pension or a private pension, but you have a whole lot, you have lots of money in RSPs. Well, you don't qualify for that pension splitting yet. You do have to wait till you're over 65, and then you have to move your RSP money into a RIF. And from there, that RIF can pay you a, a monthly income, and you can split up to 50% to your spouse. Now, your spouse does not have to be over the age of 65. Your spouse could be whatever age for that matter, as long as they're, um, as long as the one re, um, getting the pension is over 65, they get to split it. Now, that being said, the one under 65 would not qualify for the pension credit in this case because it came from a RIF. Don't ask me why. They give different rules for defined benefit plans versus RIFs. It doesn't make sense. I, I'm, it's a bit of a pet peeve, to be honest, because they really are treated equally in every other facet. But for whatever reason, they do allow this um, one under 65, one over 65. Now, things that cannot be split, you cannot split your old age security. And people think of pensions and they say, oh, I wanted to split my pensions. Well, you can't split your old age security. You can also not split RSP withdrawals. RSPs must be converted to a RIF first before they can be split. Um, Canada Pension Plan. Everybody says, oh, yeah, I hear your people split their Canada pension plan. Yes, they do, but not on the tax return. They do that at Service Canada. You and your spouse go to Service Canada. If one person is getting, say, 200 a month of Canada pension plan and the other is getting 1,000 a month of Canada pension plan and they're both receiving it, then they can add them together, divide by two. That case would be $600 each. And again, depending on your tax brackets, it will or will not make sense. The thing with this is it's really important to sit down with your financial planner and figure out what's the best way to split income because it makes a huge difference. Now, there's there's other ways to do it. Pension splitting is the most common. The other one is um, using a prescribed loan. You can loan your spouse um, any amount for that matter at currently, and it's called a prescribed, pre- prescribed loan, at 1% currently. So if Mrs. Smith, in this case, sold her business for 500000 and she lent Mrs. Mr. Smith 500000 at 1%, she would receive $5,000 a year of interest from Mr. Smith. But now Mr. Smith now can invest, invest that money. If he invests that at a 4% dividend, he would end up getting $20,000 tax-free because at that tax bracket, he would not pay tax on dividends. And on top of that, he actually gets to write off the 1%, that that $5,000 of interest he pays Mrs. Smith as a tax deduction because you're borrowing to invest. So at the end of the day, they end up paying $1,971 in tax on that $20,000 of income. 
if Mrs. Smith had simply taken the 500000 invested the whole 500000 into something paying a 4% dividend, she would end up paying $5,000 in tax. So using this spousal loan method, this would end up saving $3,028 a year. So two different ways of splitting income, pension splitting and prescribed loans. There is other ways. You can do what's called a, a gift. Um, you, actually, you can't gift, but you can use a one-plus-one method where the interest from one investment gets moved over to the other spouse. Now, the one thing that I would do recommend, very simple, if you have one person that has a lot of non-registered money and one person that has is a lower tax bracket with a similar amount, start spending the one that has the higher tax bracket and whittle that one down so that their tax bill gets lower and lower. Don't try to make everything even because the only person that's going to win that game is the government. Hmm. So sit down with your financial planner and work out the best income splitting strategies for you. We are planning your financial future. I'm Scott Thompson. Andy Lister and Don Fox are here from IG Private Wealth Management. Leave a message. You can call now at 905-529-7165 and check out their website at andyanddon.com. There you can access old archive shows as well as ask a question via the listener inquiry button. We're going to take a quick, uh, quick break. We're coming right back. You are listening to a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of 900 CHML. We are planning our financial future. I'm Scott Thompson. Andy Lister and Don Fox are here from IG Private Wealth Management. 905-529-7165. You can call now, leave a message, they'll return your call, and check out their website at andyanddon.com. Uh, big question, lots of people talk about this. When do you take your government pension? When, when's a good time? Yeah, and this is something that Don and I have talked about on the show uh, numerous times. And, um, you know, and every time we talk about it, we kind of come at it from a different angle and a different way of thinking about it and a different attitudes as well as things have evolved over the last several years, too. But so it's a question that still sort of comes out of the blue, it comes out of the blue. I mean, it's out there all the time. And it's something that for many people, it's probably one of the the biggest or bigger decisions that they have to make in terms of their financial future and their retirement life. And so just one one way of looking at this, I thought I would just step people through. We'll talk about a little case study uh, of a couple who are facing the when to take, when to apply for CPP, an old age security decision, and, and then sort of chat a little bit about some of the issues around that and, and the main sort of objectives um, that we have to think about when making this call. So this is a, this is a sort of story of Alistair and Teresa, and Alistair and Teresa came from Wales in the UK uh, 35 years ago at age 29 and uh, uh, for Alistair and 24 for Teresa. So they were married in Wales and had been actually, um, uh, uh, Alistair was working as an electrician for about 11 years in, uh, in Wales and, um, uh, and Teresa was a nurse for four years. And when they came to Canada, they continued to work in their respective professions, and uh, Alistair as an electrician and Teresa as a nurse. So when they arrived to Canada, they ended up having three children. And um, during that time period, uh, Teresa Max you know, took the max in terms of maternity leave that she was eligible for. And 
she had also decided, they both decided, that uh, until that, after that third child was born, she was going to work only part-time as a nurse until, um, until the child was six years old. And uh, so that was just part of their lifestyle decision. Now, about 10 years ago, Alistair was in a car accident uh, while on the job. And um, he actually ended up being off for two years, during which time period he was receiving workers' compensation. And uh, so that certainly put a, uh, a dent in their, their financial life at the time. So now here we are, even coming more, more recently, uh, Teresa's now 59, but three years ago at 56, she was diagnosed with breast cancer. And um, so she's been in remission for the last three years, but, um, you know, it was a really, it was a rough go. And so, in fact, for about two years, she was off work and only recently returned back um, uh, part-time, and then she stopped altogether. So she's qualified for long-term disability through work because of depression and some other health issues. And um, she also got approved for the maximum CPP disability benefit. And... So the plan now, she's not going to return to work. Uh, she is in the lowest tax bracket uh, in terms of income. And her long-term disability is something she'll continue to receive that, but it will be replaced by her work pension uh, as early as age 60. And so I'm looking at Alistair now. He's uh, 64, and he's in good health and active and um, has been very busy in terms of retirement, or sorry, in terms of his lifestyle um, he's still working, but he wants to sort of shift to part-time. And um, that way he can sort of help Teresa more with her doctor's appointments. And sort of through all of this, he's come to realize, you know, life, life can be short. But at the same time, he wants to go back to Wales to visit his mother, who's 92. And, uh, and his father died at 67. So in light of all that, he's thinking, you know, I, life's short. I, I don't want to keep working all this time, but I am interested in going so in terms of their overall financial situation, um, the company would sort of describe themselves as feeling very confident in terms that their income and the assets that they have are going to be sufficient for their financial future needs. And at the same time, they have a, um, they created a great emergency fund uh, just to look after any extra medical expenses that might come along. And they also, uh, we're not going to, there's no worries about old age security clawbacks based on their income levels, etc. So the big question was, well, when should we apply? And Alistair at age 64 is thinking about Canada Pension Plan a little bit more deeply. When should I apply for Canada Pension Plan and old age security? So I guess some of the things that we need need to know or they need to do is to recognize that for Canada Pension Plan, the standard starting age is 65. And so, you know, can they qualify? Yep, Alistair qualifies now at age 64 on a reduced pension. Uh, Teresa doesn't qualify yet for Canada Pension Plan retirement benefits because she's only age 59. But you can get a reduced benefit as early as age 60. And you get an increased benefit at age 65 and onward. So uh, currently at age 64, if uh, Alistair was to take his CPP, he has to reduce his pension by 0.6% per month retiring prior to age 65. So it would be about a 3.6% reduction. Um, so 
uh, so, sorry, seven point two percent reduction. And um, as far as um, the amount of his Canada pension plan, it's going to be based on the amount that you've put into CPP and the length of time that you've been putting into those contributions. So one thing that came up, you know, is is his time off work going to affect this? And no, in general, those two years while he was on workers' comp are not going to affect his Canada pension plan because of what we call the general dropout provision. And so the general dropout provision takes out your lowest earning years and out of the equation. And Teresa sort of had that same question. She had time off uh, for all the maternity leaves that she had and while she was raising kids. And again, there's going to be no impact on her benefit because of what's called the child rearing provision, which uh, uh, produces or offsets some of the uh, lost income for raising a child under the age of seven. So, you know, these are just some of the other little pieces of Canada Pension Plan that come into play when Don and I are looking at this whole equation. And the other thing that's encouraged, that we always encourage people to do is to get online and take a look at their online statement and to see, in fact, if those dropout provisions, the general dropout provisions and the child rearing provisions have been built into the calculation that you're getting. And so a lot of times people will request an estimate uh, by mail for age 65, but you can also do it online. Uh, but to uh, get it in writing, uh, you can do that and they will send it. But it'll be, do it based on you turning age 65. So when we start to think about the factors that are involved for Teresa and, and Alistair, the first one we think about, okay, well, what about income requirements? So as we sort of talked about, they felt very confident about their financial future in terms of their assets and incomes meeting all of their needs. So in general, that category, we would say for both their uh, CPP for Alistair for sure, and even OAS, we'll talk a little bit about that. But they get a check mark there, so it's not they don't need the Canada Pension Plan for income purposes. So that sort of points to well, they could defer based on that factor. The next one would be what we call stability of income. So when we look at where are the income sources that they have that you have during retirement, um, how confident can you be about those? And in this case, because of sources of pension, etc., work pensions, um, they feel very confident about that stability of income as well. The next is life expectancy. And, uh, you know, just thinking about Alistair, you know, even though um, his father died at 67 of a heart attack, his mother's 92. And statistically, on average for a male right now at 64, he should live to about 88 or 89. So I think you have to go with that as far as life expectancy. So for him, for sure, a deferral makes sense. And um, uh, as far as um, Teresa, Right, she's already getting her CDP disability benefit, so we'll talk a little bit more about her as well. The next thing might be tax impact. So let's say this additional uh, income from Canada Pension Plan is going to put you into a higher tax bracket. You know, particularly if some people are working part time or they're you know doing things that, or there might be an impact of OAS clawback that you have to consider as well. So as far as tax impact. Uh, in this situation, both uh, were not going to be impacted by OAS clawbacks or put in, into a different tax bracket, so they get a check mark there in terms of the deferral uh, option. And then we get into things like individual attitudes and confidence around things. And this is where, you know, everything from your the conversations you've had with neighbors and other retirees and what you've been reading and hearing about 
all come into play in terms of your attitudes. Like some people are just hell bent that this is it. They're going to take their Canada pension plan and get their money now, uh, despite everything. So, um, but that in general, that I think they're okay with the deferral thought process. So we gave them a check mark there. And the only other thing to discuss is, is survivor benefits. And, um, because Teresa is already getting the maximum through the CTP disability benefit, and uh, you know, she, if um, if anything would happen right now to Alistair taking Canada Pension Plan, there'd be no additional survivor benefit for her, uh, assuming she's getting the maximum or higher. So, you know, overall, the the, the main then objectives or the main sort of conclusions would be that for Teresa it makes sense to wait at least till 65. And the reason she should wait at least till 65 at age 59 now is that her Canada Pension Plan disability benefit is higher than what she will be receiving from her CPP retirement benefit. So until 65, it makes sense for her to just carry on. Uh, but what she should understand, though, is that any CPP income could also affect her group disability benefits, uh, there might be an offset there. So, in other words, again, it points to her just defer until uh, you're getting your pension and no longer on disability or until age 65, and she should definitely contact her HR folks to make sure that um, what impact that would have on her long-term disability as well. Um, the other thing that they should know is that uh, it. The Canada Pension Plan can be shared, and Don talked about this, and so um, that's that's part of a of an income splitting strategy. There, and that makes sense because we know that uh, Teresa is in a lower tax bracket, uh, Alistair's in a higher tax bracket, and so an application to split their pensions may make sense, uh, and that's just an opportunity to if there's a differentiation in terms of the amount, different amounts they're getting then that equalizes it and uh, saves them a bit of tax, too. Um, so one thing, too, if Alistair continues to work past age 65, then um, he will then have to make a decision about the CPP post-retirement benefit. So this is a an enhancement to the overall plan, um, but you just have to weigh off how much you're going to put into it, how much you're going to get out of it. There's a calculator through Service Canada, that we can run through or the client can run through that helps you understand the benefit of that CPP post-retirement benefit. So overall, I would say for Canada Pension Plan um, that it makes sense for Alistair to defer to age 70 uh, and for Teresa to defer till at least age 65 at this point. So another five years in terms of Canada Pension Plan would be perfectly fine and make sense for them. The other, um, the other factor then was the old age security. And so for OAS, uh, to qualify for the maximum, you have to have 40 years living in Canada and paying taxes here. And uh, so at age, by age 65. So Alistair falls into, so he's only, he will have had only 36 years out of the 40. So he gets a 90% maximum of the OAS. And uh, Teresa, by the time she's 65, she would have had 41 years, so she gets the full benefit of OAS at, uh, at age 65. So you can defer a, uh, your OAS beyond age 65, and you get an enhancement of 0.6% uh, per year. So that's up to 36% increase by the time you reach age 70. 
And uh, so that can often mean, uh, you know, an enhanced long-term uh, payout at a higher level, right? Now, there's no survivor benefit for OAS. So when one person dies, nobody gets any amount from that OAS. It just stops at, at death as well. And the other thing to think about, to be aware of, is that it will automatically start at 65. There's an auto-enrollment and that you should uh, submit an application for deferral if you are going to consider not taking your OAS. And uh, so, and the final thing that we sort of talked about, we and, and I know, Don, you were going to make a couple of comments too, was just the fact that um, they may qualify for some UK pension uh, and that they should look into that uh, overseas to see if there's some additional income they can receive there. And finally, uh, Alistair would also potentially qualify for a workers' compensation pension based on the fact that he was off for two years and didn't receive that. So, you know, these are just some of the kind of overall things when we're thinking about CP or OAS decision and CPP decision, looking at different angles. It, it, it's a huge amount of information to bring it all in together and then be able to create some illustrations, running some what-if scenarios to help people be confident about that final decision when it comes to pulling the trigger. Because there ain't no going back. <laughs> once, you, once you pull the trigger, you're, you're, you're locked in and you're good to go. All right. Yeah. John, I know you just had a couple of comments too. Yes, and absolutely. And, and again, this is a case study and it's specific to this case study. But probably the most interesting thing I do come across is, and again, just last week, uh, a person still working, he's past 65. He started collecting his Canada pension plan. Not a bad thing to do. But he's also started collecting his OAS, not knowing it could have been deferred. Just as you mentioned, it's the auto-enrollment. So he's going to be making well into the clawback area. And had he known that little tidbit of information that he could defer that old-age security, he could have deferred it for another year, which he planned on working, and get that little bump up on the old-age security. So... Again, for those listeners out there, so important to go with your financial planner looking at the OAS rules and the Canada Pension Plan rules. Should you defer? Shouldn't you? These are these are great conversations to have. And, you know, I guess most people are just anxious to get it. You know, they're not really looking into the advantages of deferring it. Yeah, and, and unfortunately with clawback, you actually end up losing most of it. So you, you, do, you, you think you're getting it, but then you don't. We are planning your financial future. I'm Scott Thompson. Andy Lister and Don Fox are here from IG Private Wealth Management. Call them now. Leave a message. They'll return your call at 905-529-7165. And check out the website at andyanddon.com. Going to take a quick break. We're coming right back. You are listening to a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of 900 CHML. We are planning your financial future. I'm Scott Thompson. Andy Lister and Don Fox are here from IG Private Wealth Management. Call them now. Leave a message. They'll get back to you as soon as they can at 905-529-7165 and check out the website at andyanddon.com. This is an interesting topic and and nicely worded, I might add. Uh, Don't let your kids... Uh, squander their inheritance. That's sort of a backdoor way of saying... Yeah, don't, don't waste your parents' money when they inherit it. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> they worked hard for that money. That's right. Yeah, so the underlying caption should be, are you worried that your kids will blow through their money? <laughs> blow through your money. Sorry. Yes. Are you worried that your kids will blow through your money? 
Uh, and this is something then, you know, how do you protect yourself? And so I'm going to talk about five ways that you can make sure your children use their money more properly. All right. So uh, this is sort of a quick little background on this. As far as the baby boomers, then, you know, that this is and it's over the next, say, several decades. It's estimated that the baby boomers are going to pass down about $30 trillion in assets. With a T, $30 trillion. So if you sort of are one of those persons out there that are shuddering as you think about what your beloved kids are going to do with their money, ones that you work so hard for, well, you're not alone. <laughs> There's a lot of people out there that are feeling that. And and the, and the issue is that it's, it's statistically, inheritances do dwindle significantly, and most specifically in the first couple of years that someone gets them. So if they can manage to get through those first two or three years without blowing through it, then there's a hope <laughs> that some of it will remain and there's some kind of legacy involved. There was a study done, um, the Ohio State University found that one in three Americans who get an inheritance have negative savings within two years. So about one-third <laughs> of people getting inheritance sort of just screw up their financial life as a result of this, uh, in the short term anyway. And, um, and children, sorry, uh, and children will, uh, sometimes blow through their inheritance. They don't know if they don't know enough about money management. Right. And that's the key. I mean, it's, it's really tempting to spend a check when there's a several zeros behind it. Right. (laughs) This is is not too dissimilar. I would think like a lottery winner, really where they yeah. often are known to have none of those proceeds five years later. Exactly. So number one, uh, number one way is to, to protect your children, to use your money properly, is to make sure you have a will and, uh, and putting it in a will. So basically, you know, you protect those life savings. If you want to clearly define it in the will, who's going to get what assets and whether a trust should be set up, who the trustee is going to be, and, you know, you're really your goal here is you want to limit uncertainty. And this is a time when you die, this is when people are going to be looking at the will as a place to start a direction, right, for how to, what's the tone of how this money is going to be handled. So that's the first one. Number two is trust. Trust the testamentary trust. And what I mean by that is if you, if you want to maintain control over your assets, then you'll need to create what's called a testamentary trust. And all this is is basically you saying instead of the beneficiary being my child, the beneficiary is going to be a trust, and that trust beneficiary will be my child. Does that make sense? So it's sort of like that two layers. And, um, and then you need to appoint someone who is going to manage the trust and decide when the beneficiary should receive money from the trust. Maybe it's a schedule of payments that can be set up, but it's usually left to the trustee, um, which would be like a typical, you know, a responsible family member. Uh, and that's t- generally the simplest and most effective way to make sure that your intentions on how the money is going to be followed. puts a lot of weight on the trustee's shoulders. And now a lot of times people don't have that person, right? They don't have a, a, a family member they can trust or someone that uh, is capable or knowledgeable enough, and they're stuck. So this is where some an option often to think about is exploring an annuity. So with, if there's no trustee that can do all this for you, then you could instruct the executor of your will, so that's the person looking after your final affairs, 
to purchase an annuity from a lump sum of your estate. So in this case, maybe, you know, you take if it's half a million dollars or a million dollars or whatever the amount is, that amount is used to purchase a life annuity for a beneficiary. And um, now there's this option doesn't have as much flexibility as the trust does, but it, it, it ensures that it's going to work absolutely. And, uh, and this particularly works well when you don't have a, a trustee that you can choose, or maybe you're concerned the trustee won't commit to the long term and you need to find a replacement. Uh, the next thing is you could give gifts now and giving out cash now to a beneficiary uh, as a sort of pre-inheritance. Um, you know, the only big risk here is you got to make sure that you're not giving too much. Right? You don't want to become impoverished because you're giving money or too early and or too much uh, in life. But it also gives you a chance to see how your kids will manage money as well. And the fifth thing, and probably the most important thing, is to teach your children about money. And not, not even while they're children, but while they're adults as well. And continuing that education into adulthood is basically the best way. you got to develop good money habits. And, uh, I mean, at the end of the day, how your children are going to spend their money, it's going to be up to them. And you really don't have... You have so few strings that you can attach to it, and but the way they learn to spend money is going to be based on the knowledge that you've given them, and uh, and what they've learned by listening to stations and shows like this. So anyway, lots of different ideas. If you if it's a concern, talk to your CFP professional. We are planning your financial future. I'm Scott Thompson. Andy Lister and Don Fox are here from IG Private Wealth Management, 905-529-7165. Call now, leave a message, they'll get back to you, or check out their website at andyanddon.com. Quick break here, we're coming back. You are listening to a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of 900 CHML. We are planning your financial future. I'm Scott Thompson. Andy Lister and Don Fox are here from IG Private Wealth Management. Call them now. Leave a message. They'll get back to you at 905-529-7165 and check out the website at andyanddon.com. All right. Summer can burn away at those finances. Uh, how do we make that? How do we stop that from happening, especially when we've been cooped up for so long well no kidding like don't don't a lot of people out there feel they're like a bear in hibernation yeah and they finally let you out of the cave mm-hmm. and you come out and you can't wait to get out there and do stuff and um, hungry to spend that money really as opposed to the bear but still it can really hurt that financial plan of yours and i certainly don't want to put a little cold water on you getting out there and having fun but uh, at the end of the day it's still about managing your money and making sure and in maximizing your fund while you're doing it. So trying to find that balance. And that's what I'm just going to get at. You still have to have that, that hint in your mind that, hey, you got bills to pay. You bought that new house during COVID. You got that new dog during COVID. You may be riding your bike around because of COVID. And you still have money. To, you still have to look at the money and your budget in general. So looking at things, you got kids. What about those day camps? Well, shop around. Day camps prices change all over the place. In fact, some of the day camps are a lot more money than just regular daycare. So take a look around, see what you can get, and there's there's lots to pick from, and hopefully they'll be all open and ready to roll. Um, things are looking darn good that they should be. Um, driving. For those that haven't driven around for the last year, prices are actually gone right back up again. Those gas prices are up. 
and you might get this rude awakening, how much it costs to fill that gas tank, because you've been filling it once a month. So you might want to say, okay, um, if you're double vaccinated, which a lot of you are, or certainly will be by then, uh, maybe carpool. And uh, you know what? Maybe take that new dog for a walk or bike there instead. Okay, that will save a few dollars in gas too. Um, plan those meals. I know everybody wants to help those restaurants out there, and certainly as of, uh, as of this weekend, we really want to get on those patios and, and, and just enjoy being outside and talking to people in groups of four. But again, plan your meals. You can sit there and um, have some prepared meals, barbecue, use that barbecue of yours, but uh, also have fun on the, on the patios. Now, it's kind of funny when it comes to summer, everybody doesn't think as much about the cost of air conditioning. We all think about setting that thermostat when it's minus 20 out. But boy, air conditioning is one of the most inefficient ways to cool a house. And the cost of electricity to run this thing is through the roof. And it's funny, we all have these thermostats to set it, or a lot of us do, to set the heat so that, okay, I'm, I'm at work now, so I'll put the heat, um, I'll, I'll set the thermostats down. Well, do the opposite for your air conditioning. Okay, open the windows at night. And maybe use those effective those uh, thermostats to bring the temperature up while you're away and then bring it back down when you get home. Do the opposite for the heat. Because uh, this, uh, this past week, we've seen how hot it can get. We, I think we hit pretty close to records and certainly into the 30s. And with, hu- with the humidity, it was well into the 30s. And uh, I know everybody's AC is going strong. And here we are at the beginning of June. Uh, clothes shopping. Okay, talk about pent-up energy. I know there's a lot of people out there right now that can't wait to spruce up that wardrobe. And, uh, and I know some of the retailers can't wait for those people to show up in their shops too, okay? Because I do have some clients in the business, and it has been dismal for the last year. And yes, Scott, I seen your square with your, your T-shirt. And yeah, you won't be going out to the patio with that on, I can tell you. I'm gonna, I've got a brand new pair of track pants for this weekend. <laughs> So get out there, but you know what? If it's not, if you haven't already done it, get that closet sorted. Pull out all the stuff that you don't like, and you know what? Make some room for the closet and say, you know what? I've got a few nice pairs of shorts still, but I need some new tops, or vice versa. And that way, when you do go there, it's not just off the cuff buying. You've got a bit of a, a clothing plan, if you will. And going out with friends. It has been so long since we've gone out with friends. But we've actually may have forgotten just how much it costs uh, to have a beer on a patio. And yes, it's about ten bucks or or more for that drink. And uh, yeah, it's a lot more expensive than buying that um, thirty pack of Miller Lite. Okay, so you may want to um, have a bit of that fun. But hey, it, there's nothing wrong with having some people in your backyard for a picnic or barbecues. Turn up the music, enjoy yourself. Um, family vacations. Now this one here driving versus flying so many people haven't been on a plane yet and actually there is some great deals on flights so you might actually it might actually be cheaper to fly versus drive but check it out and put it into the budget it's a vacation budget we haven't had one for so long people may have forgotten how to do a vacation budget uh movies gosh it's been forever i cannot remember it's, it's for sure pre it's definitely pre-covid for me i don't know about you two but uh Everybody out there, it's been a while since we hit a movie, and there's going to be a few blockbusters that have been waiting for the movie theaters to open. And, uh, yeah, enjoy that. But the other part is there's a lot of people that have these projectors now, and they've got these COVID movies all set up. And have the projector, got the popcorn, you can sit outside with friends, and it's a blast to do it that way too. 
And big ticket items, the tent, trailer, RVs, jet skis. Again, think about it. Maybe even rent before you buy these. But at the end of the day, it really comes down to we need to plan ahead. Look at your current situation. Have a game plan. Work out a, a budget, if you will. And you know what? One thing you can look at is use up those credit card points you've accumulated for vacationing. Because we've gone a year and a half of accumulating. I don't know about you two or everybody else out there, but I know I've accumulated a lot of these points. I haven't used any of them for over a year and a half. And you can use it for airlines, hotels, and you may end up getting through this whole summer perfectly budget and even have some extra money for those clothes. Have a great summer, everybody. <laughs> now I have to feel, I feel like I don't, uh, I'm not adding up here. I need to go, I need to go look for another wardrobe immediately. Uh, that was specific to the, you, Scott. Yeah, you were looking at my square when you said that. I saw that. Uh, we are planning your financial... Buttons, <laughs> or Velcro. I'm getting older. Uh, we have been planning your financial future. I'm Scott Thompson. Andy Lister and Don Fox have been here from IG Private Wealth Management. You can call them now and leave a message at 905-529-7165 and check out their website at andyanddon.com. There you can listen to old shows as well as ask a question via the listener inquiry button. All right, I guess that's it. Thank you, gentlemen. Good seeing you again. Thanks, Scott. Thanks, everybody. Thanks, Scott. Have a safe weekend, everybody. The preceding was a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of 900 CHML.